Morning, everyone. Good to see you. And uh, <clears throat> thanks, Paul, for leading us uh, through our service this morning. It's really good to see people. And just in the, in the course of the last few weeks, when we've been able to meet together again, some of us in person, to, to restore those relationships and start to build up again. And of course, um, church is about our relationship with God, but it's also about our relationship with one another, and it's really good to be able to, to meet again. I, I'd encourage you, if you can, to come along to Waterloo Park over the next few Sundays uh, to, to see people you may not have seen for a while and uh, just begin to, to build up those relationships again. It's a really good opportunity. And of course, in church here, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the opening chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And uh, what a sermon it is. Um, it's a manifesto from Jesus to point towards how we are to live with his kingdom values. I've had to be an apprentice under him. Is that what we want to do? Do we want to be apprentices of Jesus? And we, just to, to recap a little bit, chapter 5 uh, gave us the Beatitudes, which turns on its head the way the world thinks about success. Not as we would think, or the world would think, blessed are those who are able to earn lots of money. Blessed are those who own lots of possessions. Blessed are those who have the best education. But blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, those who are persecuted. And Paul John spoke to us uh, about being hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for right living, according to Jesus' pattern. And following that, we were urged to make a difference for Jesus in the world by being salt and light. And Paolo spoke to us. Uh, and as people who uh, are being changed, have been changed by Jesus, as people filled with the Holy Spirit, we're called to add flavor and preservation to the world and let the light of Jesus shine out to others. And the last time we were on this topic, Ian spoke to us about our righteousness being greater than that of the Pharisees. And remember, they were the keepers of God's law at the time of Jesus. And Jesus said he didn't, hadn't come to change the laws, but it was more about the spirit of the law than the letter of the law, something that the Pharisees were keen to protect. And we found out that the, the first steps to murder were to harbor grudges or trade insults. The first steps towards adultery were to harbor lust in your hearts. And that fulfilling the spirit of the law means not just loving your neighbor, but loving your enemies. And all these things turned around some of the world's understanding of religion and doing something different in following Jesus. So today we move on to chapter 6. And our reading comes in two parts. Firstly, verses 1 to 6, and then verses 16 to 18. And those intervening verses, David will be along to talk to us about prayer next week. So let's read from Matthew chapter 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and on the streets, to 
be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what you, what you do is done in secret will reward you. Verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I wonder if you noticed in those verses what appears to be a contradiction between today's passage and the one that we looked at earlier in the series. Back in Matthew 5, verse 16, it said this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Today's passage says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Well, which is it, you might say? Should we aim for people to see our good works, or should we be keeping them in secret? But what appears to be a contradiction is really referring to our motives, what's in our heart behind the things that we do in being a follower of Jesus. Notice in that verse from Matthew chapter 5, the outcome is that many may see your good needs and glorify your Father in heaven. In letting our light shine, we can be pointing the way to Jesus. Things done with demonstrating the motive of Jesus' love to the world around us. Why are those people at NCBC taking out food parcels to needy families? Because that's what Jesus would do. His manifesto is to look after the poor and marginalised, those who are struggling. Why is NCBC supporting 12-step groups? Perhaps there's a verse in Luke 4 which speaks of Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. When the motive is to lift the name of Jesus, we fall into the remit of Matthew chapter 5, glorifying our Father in heaven. If we seek to do things just to push our own name forward, that's a different matter. And our verses today speak about a different motive, and they cover three areas in the passage that we read. He spoke of giving to the poor, of praying, and of fasting. And you could possibly look at them as being connected with relationships with others, the needy, 
with God through prayer and acts of self-discipline like fasting. Although this, of course, speaks as well about our relationship with God. And notice that in all three cases, the passage speaks about when, not if. There is an assumption that all three things are part and parcel of being a follower of Jesus. Giving to the needy, prayer and fasting. And the introductory verse gives us a warning. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Be careful. In the message version, it says, be especially careful. In some versions, it says, beware. What's the motive to these actions? Are we trying to let others see how good we are? Is that what it's about? And each of the paragraphs has a a similar pattern. When you do this, don't do it like that. Do it like this. So let's look at each one of them in turn. Firstly, giving to the needy. Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. As we've seen, it's a case of when rather than if. Jesus expects those who have to give to those who don't have. And Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians that each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We put that in as our verse of the week for this week, to be cheerful about our giving. And often things are looked on as being quite relative, aren't they? I can't afford the latest phone. I can't afford the latest car, whatever it is. So relatively speaking, I'm poorer than my neighbor who, can't, who can afford it. Isn't it sad that uh, that can be the mindset in our culture today? When the reality is that despite these relatives with other people, people living in the UK are among the richest people in the world. How much are we challenged by that? And how can we go about doing something as an individual, partly thinking about what these verses are speaking about? As apprentices of Jesus, we're called on to make a difference in this particular area. Not just to be comfortable with what we have, but to be challenged to look at those who don't have. My Greek pronunciation is probably not very good, but the Greek word used is eliomusune, which means a deed of mercy or pity. And it's response to our God being merciful to us. Like many areas of faith, our actions can flow out of a deep understanding of what God has done in our lives and elicit that response in return. We could think of doing something religiously. There's an element of obeying some kind of rule. This is what I'm supposed to do, so I'm going to do it. And now I've done it, I can rest until I need to do it again. That can be a religious way of looking at it. Whereas a relationship with the one who gives unlimited mercy and grace brings a different heart into the situation. And Jesus is dealing with these motives as he speaks here. Don't sound your trumpet 
as the hypocrites do. Don't even get a sense of self-satisfaction. But look to God and he will reward you. Maybe there's a picture in your mind of a, a Pharisee on his way to give alms with a fanfare blowing and a crowd gathering around. Don't be like the hypocrites. The Greek word again, Hippocrates, is someone who's going through an act. The world's a stage and I'm playing to it. And actors often don't reveal their true identity. And it's this that Jesus is concerned with. I guess it's not often that we do see people making a show of their giving. But the second part about getting self-satisfaction is a very tempting scenario. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Jesus is talking about self-righteousness, about dwelling on that satisfaction of giving, when in return for God's generous mercy, in keeping on giving and keeping on giving, we're called to have that generous spirit about us. What about that reward that's mentioned in chapter 4, in verse 4? Couldn't that be seen as a bit mercenary? Giving something to get a reward? Maybe our reward is the knowledge that we've contributed towards God's kingdom. An everlasting kingdom of justice where Jesus will rule. Maybe in seeing the result of your giving, there's a reward just in seeing a poverty or a need being alleviated. We read these words in Matthew chapter 25. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. Looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and, and feed or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Doing something for the poor. Giving. The second area that Jesus covers in the passage is prayer. Once again, we see this related to the relationship with God through Jesus. Once again, Jesus refers to those hypocrites, the actors, those whose outward actions don't mirror their inner motives. <coughs> the contrast is between those who like to be seen praying, those who like to be seen praying, and those that pray in the confines of their room and in their heart. And Jesus isn't saying that uh, public corporate prayer is wrong. Indeed, there are many occasions in both the Old and the New Testament where it's commended. In our series recently on the exile, we saw Daniel opening his windows to pray publicly. It says Daniel went home to his upstairs room where the windows were opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. This wasn't Daniel hiding up. This was Daniel uh, speaking out. What was his motivation? Was it to say to everyone, look how good a servant of God I am? Or was it to declare that his God was the one true God among the challenge 
of worshipping false gods, or in this case, King Darius. In the New Testament, we find many examples of the apostles and followers of Jesus praying together. So once again here, Jesus is talking about the motive behind prayer. If we only ever took part in corporate prayer, that intimate relationship we talked about earlier would not develop. So there's a second strand in meeting with God in the secret place. Not just the motivation, but also the desire to know God more through regular interaction with him. One commentator reminds us that the Greek word, you, the Greek word used here for room is actually the same word that's meant storeroom where treasures may be kept. When we come into that storeroom, in the inner place for Jesus, we can find so much treasure. So once again, when Jesus speaks of reward, the reward itself can be that relationship with God that seeks to understand his character, seek to understand his nature, to grasp his love and his grace and enter into all that he has for you. We can acknowledge God for who he is in the secret place. Maybe the blessing that we find in Numbers chapter 6 encapsulates, encapsulates something of what it means to develop that relationship with him through prayer. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Does that constitute reward for praying in a secret place? And just as our giving springs out of a genuine love for others, our praying springs out of a genuine love for God. The third area that Jesus focuses on is fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. <clears throat> but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Don't look dismal like the hypocrites, the actors. Look normal and do it in secret. I guess that fasting is one of those spiritual disciplines that's taken a back seat in modern Western Christianity. Once again, Jesus says, when you fast, not if you fast. But for many Christians, it's not an activity that forms a regular part of the Christian life. About a year ago, while we were looking at some of the Christian disciplines, prayer and fasting was one of the talks that Ian gave as part of that series. And we find that the Pharisees in Jesus' time would fast twice a week. But here Jesus looks at the motives behind it and why it was being done. What's the purpose of fasting? And can we incorporate it in our lives today? Well, broadly speaking, it's about self-discipline, about self-denial. It can be a way of humbling ourselves before God. That may be in the light of some past sin, or it might be showing a dependence on him for future mercy and guidance. For some, it might mean humbling yourself when you have a difficult decision to make and turning aside from food and distractions to focus on God. 
Jesus himself fasted at the beginning of his ministry. We see similar things happening throughout the Acts of the Apostles before ministry. And hunger is one of the basic human appetites. It's something that can easily turn into sin. It can turn into greed. So the act of fasting sets aside that basic human need and is an exercise in self-control. For some, fasting can be a total abstinence of food. For others, it could be partial, maybe denying for part of a day in order to seek God and build relationship with him. And maybe the starting point, if it's something you've never done, is to show that willingness to enter into the spiritual discipline and seeking God on how it can help that relationship with him. A sign that you mean business with God. So we've encountered these three aspects of righteousness. Jesus tells us that they could amount to self-righteousness, trying to let others see just how righteous we are. The alternative is to enter all three areas, giving to the poor, prayer, fasting, with the attitude that Jesus himself would have. Later on in chapter 6, we read the words, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the motive, to extend his kingdom, to lift up the name of Jesus. We know that when Jesus is allowed to take the central place and we take the me out of things, that's when his kingdom values, including love and forgiveness, justice, truth, compassion, grace, and so much more. That's when those kingdom values will shine through into this hurting world of ours today. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you give us the opportunities to give to the needy, to pray, and to fast. Lord, help us to consider those things. Help us to consider our motives. Lord, we want to be lifting your name high. We know that your kingdom values, that you being present in this world makes such a difference. So Lord, this morning, we want to lift your name on high. Amen.